Welcome to the Powerlifting and Power Ballads podcast, where we bring you a weekly dose of powerlifting news, tips, and training advice with a touch of 80s rock ballads. This podcast is presented by Team Roar Powerlifting, your source of the most comprehensive coaching and meet day preparation. Here are your hosts, Josh Roar and Laura Sturm. All right, and welcome to episode 29 of Powerlifting and Power Ballads podcast. I'm one of your hosts, and I am Laura Sturm. And I'm Josh Rohr. Welcome to the uh, show. <laughs> wow. Way to sell it, Josh. <laughs> so in this episode of Powerlifting Power Ballads, Ballads podcast, um, I have decided to interview Josh because I don't know that everybody who, well, the two people that are watching or listening, um, kidding about that part too, I hope, um, know who Josh is other than, you know, Josh Rohr, meat director in Georgia, coach, sometimes lifter, um, you know, but there's, there's more of a backstory there. So um, just to kind of break down things a little bit, right? Um, you've been lifting for how long? Uh, 20 years this year. I started lifting in 2001. Yeah, so 20 years lifting. Um, well, it's a long ass time. Yeah, coaching for a long time as well since what 2008 well officially yeah earlier kind of so in college i kind of coached the team as well so we had a faculty advisor that was kind of our coach the i guess my freshman sophomore year ish um but then i kind of started coaching the team um with our my my actual faculty advisor for exercise science kind of stepped in as our coach and we kind of worked together as a collaboration. So, uh, I guess officially I moved to Georgia and started coaching in 2007, but I would officially unofficially, whatever you want to call it. Mm -hmm. I kind of say 2004. All right. So you've been lifting a long time, coaching for a long time. I know for a long time in the state of Georgia, there wasn't a meet that was not a Josh Roar run meet. Um, you started running meets in uh, 2011, is that right? 2010 was actually my first official meet that I ran. Um, that was close. Yeah. Close. So for the most part of the last 10 years, if there was a meet in Georgia, it was put on by Josh Rohr. Yeah, for the most part. there were. I mean, there were some other meets here and there that other meet directors ran, um, but I would say the majority of them I ran. Yeah. Well, you brought up a couple, a couple other meet directors. I was one of them. Um you know, there's a, there's a few in there, but I don't, I don't, I'm trying to think of a, a meet that was not team roar that happened in the last 10 years, other than in 2020. Um, there's been a few, like, uh, I know David Goodwin hosted the mm -hmm. military okay. nationals. Um, uh, I believe Liz hosted like the, a winter meet a couple times or once maybe. Mm. So right. there's been, there's been a few sprinkled, sprinkled yeah, in here, sprinkled in here and there. Sprinkled like glitter, but not that, um, everywhere. And, um, you, you're also have served officially on USAPL and you're a part of the executive committee. Did I say that right? Executive, executive committee. Co committee, community yeah. committee. Yeah. Um, <laughs> yes. Since I believe I was elected in 2015 and I've been uh, part of the executive committee ever since. Right. And you also won a, the coveted brother Bennett award from USAPL. I did. That was a, so 
that was actually probably one of the bigger shockers to me. Um, for those not familiar with the Brother Bennett Award, it's essentially the, I guess, highest award that you can earn in USA Powerlifting that kind of symbolizes the commitment to drug-free strength sport and I guess the overall commitment to giving back to the sport as well. So um, that was, you know, I, I've, I've won a few national titles. I've won a few, you know, local meets and I would, you know, medaled at IPF worlds. And, you know, I, I can honestly say that's probably the one that means the most, um, mm. which surprisingly is, I don't know how I feel about that actually. Um, it, I'm, I'm a little bit torn. Like it's a super big honor to win that, but you know, I've always kind of took pride in the fact that I was a lifter, I guess. So, you know, having an award that is not from my own lifting is, 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 is different, I guess. But the fact that it is probably the one that means the most to me gives me all all kinds of weird feelings, I guess. Right. Well, I mean, I think it kind of speaks to your commitment to the sport and, you know, your longevity in it and what you've contributed to the sport. So yeah. I think it's pretty huge. It's pretty cool. Pretty huge. Also, the um, person who put together primetime. Primetime wouldn't have happened. It may have eventually happened, but yeah. So it was yeah. your brainchild. Yeah. Yeah. I guess we can say that. It, um, it was. So we, yeah, we put together primetime in 2016 Raw Nationals, and it's kind of been a staple ever since. Although, you know, with no nationals happening in 2020 and the reformat for 2021 with COVID going on, there won't be a prime time this year either. But uh, I do fully expect that to be back in 2022, assuming COVID's under control. So, right. So I, I kind of just wanted to take just that that minute there to kind of establish who you are. So anyone who, you know, I am Josh. Yeah, I am Josh. <laughs> Socially awkward. And yeah, but um but other than just being socially awkward, um, what those things are that, you know, have made you stand out in powerlifting, um, that you're, you're not just um, another Instagram coach. So no. we, we've had that discussion as well. So um, just to give everybody a, a little bit of a background, like, can you say a little bit about like um, where you grew up and how you got into the sport of powerlifting in the first place? Sure. Um, I actually grew up in Apple Creek, Ohio, which is a very small village in Ohio. Um, I would say a good amount of the population there is Amish. Um, so I grew up on a dairy farm. Um, I was not Amish. A lot of people always ask me that question, but a lot of our neighbors were. Um, and I kind of got into powerlifting through football. Um, started lifting with the team just to kind of get better because naturally I wasn't went, I wasn't, I, I'm still not a very good athlete in terms of most sports, um, but I found that I was pretty good at lifting. I think a lot of that came from, you know, growing up on a farm and doing a lot of manual labor, um, but that was just kind of a natural fit for me. Um, I was just naturally good at it. So started lifting with the football team um, and I did play football, but then my senior year, my football coach um, kind of signed us up me and a couple other of the guys on the team signed us up for a powerlifting meet. It was just kind of a local, um, a local high school was running it. It was not sanctioned looking back, like the rules were a joke. I mean, as long as you went down at all and came back up with the squad, it was good stuff like that. But that was my first intro to it. And, um, you know, in the very first meet I did, I ended up winning. So that kind of lit the fire and 
kind of reinforce the idea that I, I might be okay at this. So that's kind of where I got started. So you're like, I'm not athletic, but I can do this. But I can lift heavy stuff. Yeah. Yeah. As a farm boy. Yep. Very nice. So um, what you said your high school um, teacher was your, was he your mentor for? So I had two. So uh, the football coach is the one that signed me up for the first, my first powerlifting meet. Um, but my English teacher in high school, sophomore English, uh, Mr. Dobson, um, he's the one that kind of started working with me in high school and just, you know, he, he would always work out after school and I was always working out after school as well. And he kind of would see me in there and, you know, eventually, you know, I don't know if it's you earn the respect of your peers after a while, but he basically, you know, said something to me, like, you should work out with us. Um, and that was just kind of like the, the circle of honor. We, we called it, we called it being in the loop. Um, so it was, it was him and then the superintendent of the school. And then one of my buddies, Steve, that was a wrestler. Um, we basically, the four of us would train together every day then, um, after school. And, you know, that was, that was during the off season, during football season, I trained in the morning, before school with a football coach. So those two guys are kind of the ones that kind of steered me in the right direction. So I'm sorry, somebody was texting me at the same time this is going off. I'm like, ah, come on. I had a great question and now it's gone. Damn it. It happens. Sorry. Interviewing um, 101. <laughs> right. <laughs> but I have, I have the questions that were sent to me earlier right here. And that's why I wanted to refer to them. Um, so you, you got into um, it during high school started doing meets. Was there, um, a series of meets in high school? There was, uh, there was, there was a bunch of just random, like open meets that different high schools did. And then they had a meet that they considered a regional meet. And then they had a meet that they considered the state powerlifting meet in Ohio. Um, again, none of it was sanctioned. None of it was official, but they just, I don't know how this was all decided, um, so I, I did the regional meet and I think I ended up third place and then I did the state meet and I ended up, I think sixth place, but what they didn't tell us about the state meet was that, and at this point, I don't know anything. I'm lifting raw. I don't know anything about anything, but the state meet lifters were allowed to wear gear if they wanted to. So I ended up, um, I ended up placing, I think I played, yeah, I think I placed sixth but I was lifting against lifters that were in squat suits, knee wraps, bench shirts and all this stuff. And, you know, I never even knew what that was, never saw it before. And honestly didn't even realize that, you know, I realized now what a big deal that that difference is. But at the time I saw people wearing it, but I didn't think anything of it. I'm just like, Oh, okay. It's just a weird, weird looking outfit. Um, so that was, that was kind of my high school, you know, journey with powerlifting. Um, and at that point, you know, once I graduated, I just assumed powerlifting was done. I didn't realize there was anything beyond that. I thought it was just a, I didn't know it was a real sport, I guess, at the time. Um, and I guess it was, you know, fast forwarding a little bit. I, I took a year off after high school and just kind of worked, saved some money, sold, sold my, sold my challenger. Um, that you still regret. Yeah. Some parts of me regrets it, but parts of me doesn't. Um, anyway, so when I got to college, you know, later then I ran into 
a, a girl that actually won the high school state meet in Ohio. And I just remember seeing her because she, I remember we weighed this, well, she weighed just a little bit more than me. She was one weight class up, but I remember she out squatted me. Um, and I found out after the fact that, you know, she was wearing a suit, but, you know, I just, I, I never forgot her because, you know, she out squatted me by a decent amount. Um, won the meet, broke a bunch of the Ohio state records and everything. But anyway, I re- I just happened to pass her on campus at Ashland university. And I'm like, Hey, were you, were you at the powerlifting meet? And she's like, yeah, I was there. And she's actually the one that kind of introduced me to USA powerlifting because she told me that she was um, signed up to go compete at collegiate nationals. So mm. I'm like, wow, interesting. Um, so, you know, she ended up, I believe her first collegiate nationals as a freshman, she ended up winning. Um, but that's kind of how we ended up. We started a team there. Um, and she also threw track and field. So powerlifting was kind of her secondary thing. So she eventually kind of stuck with the, stuck with the, um, throwing and not the powerlifting. And then we kind of just took the club and built it from there. And, you know, that's kind of how, how, I guess, how I found USA powerlifting and, and powerlifting, past high school powerlifting found you it found me <laughs> almost so when did you first get into gear college then yeah it was in college so so I did my first collegiate nationals as a freshman also which was the same one she did so I guess she was getting ready for a another meet at the time to qualify for collegiate nationals when I actually met her um, so I actually had time to qualify and go as well so I qualified lifting raw didn't know anything about it um, and then my freshman year, I lifted at Collegiate Nationals Raw before they had a Raw division. And I think, man, I, I should have looked this up. I think I placed fifth um, at Collegiate Nationals against everybody else wearing gear. Um, and then after that, I'm like, look, I got to I got to I got to try this gear stuff out because if I'm going to be competitive, I got to put it on. So, you know, eventually started playing around with gear and by collegiate nationals the following year I was I was in full gear and ended up winning collegiates as a sophomore. Awesome. So um, just to go back just a little bit your first state meet was there someone who you lost to at your first Son state of a meet? Bitch. <laughs> yeah so Uncle Jeremy uh yeah, Jeremy Hartman and I both lifted in our first USA powerlifting meet together. And we didn't know each other at the time. And he would he would bring that up. <laughs> um, Sorry. And how they did it, how they did that scoring, because there was only a few teenagers competing, is they scored everybody together by formula. So, like, I, I lifted as a 165-pounder. Jeremy was a 220-pounder. But – pound for pound they scored us against each other and i ended up getting second there yeah Jer- jeremy beat me Damn. but by a pretty decent margin and and he never lets me forget it it's funny though we didn't we didn't actually know we didn't realize that that was we were each other i guess until actually only a few years ago we were just talking one day and i'm like yeah you know i don't know i don't know i, I think i got second at my first meet um the, the 2012 Ohio state championship, whatever. He's like, I won the Ohio state championship in the teenage division. We're, and I'm like, I was, yeah, I was in the teenage division. He's like, Oh, I beat you. 
So it was kind of funny. Like we've been really good friends for years and never knew that we lifted against each other in our first That's meets. pretty epic. Yeah. That's awesome. So you lifted all through college and college and started winning national champions. Uh, you froze there. What'd you say? Oh, sorry. So lifting all through college, you got better and started winning national championships in college. Yep. So I won my first national title as a sophomore at collegiate nationals. And then uh, my junior year, uh, most of our team bombed out epically. <laughs> so myself included. Um, so I actually, yeah, didn't get, um, didn't, didn't get a total as a, as a junior. And then I won again as a senior. Wow. That's awesome. So if you had to look back on some of those days, what were the new lifter mistakes that you made? Basically everything we post on, on our social media as new lifter tips are because of mistakes that I've made or things I've learned from. Um, I think the biggest thing is, is not doing enough mobility, um, not doing enough assistance work, um, you know, kind of developing imbalances over time. Technique's always been really important to me. So I think that's something that, you know, we, I've always, always prioritized. So I don't, I wouldn't necessarily say technique, but you know, just little things like being able to identify, you know, different problems that are going to get worse over time if they're not addressed, I think is the mm -hmm. biggest one. So you have some issues now that you wish you addressed back then? Yeah, for sure. I mean, you know, I, I, I struggle with, you know, back issues here and there, um, you know, primarily because I've, you know, gotten away from doing core work. I, you know, I have really tight hips, so I didn't do enough mobility like years ago. You know, I work, you know, obviously things can be addressed and fixed now, but it's just so much more work now to undo some of those things than to just mm -hmm. kind of, even if I were to just maintain some of the levels I had back then of flexibility and mobility, you know, that would just have been huge. But, you know, right. we were young college kids and we can do anything and stay up all night and not, you know, worry about anything and be just fine. Right. And recovery. Yeah. Yeah. That, that, that sure becomes a lot harder to do when you get older. Yeah. Well, and the reason why we're doing this is because uh, this is your birthday episode coming up. So yeah, you're getting older. You turn old soon. I do turn old soon. I old. am yeah. moving on up. Youngster. Um, so I know you set some American records in college. Yep. Um, oh, I have to remember what they were. Uh, I broke the, I broke this. No, I did. Hmm, did I break the squat record? I can't remember if I broke the squat record or not, but I did break the deadlift and the total American record in the collegiate division. Um, and I know the deadlift at least was still an American record when the weight class has changed. I'm not sure. I'm not sure if the total was or not. So it, it stuck around for a while. Yeah. And well, so the deadlift technically, I mean, it's, it's kind of a loophole, but technically I still hold the deadlift American record for the 75 kilo weight class because that weight class is no more. Right. Um, so it's retired, but nobody so you could like get a t-shirt that says, yeah, there's, there's definitely been lifters that have lifted more than that in the new 74 kilo weight class. So by all intents and purposes, that record doesn't exist anymore. Right. At least I know that in my heart, but on paper, it's still technically there. <laughs> 
And, you know, that's actually what's important. So that's okay. Yeah. So um, as a young lifter, was music important to you then? Uh, it was, but it, it was very different then. So I listened to a lot more, well, you know what, thinking back, it was still 80s stuff, but it was more, it was more like the heavier stuff, a lot of ACDC, a lot of Metallica, um, uh, some Limp Biscuit stuff like that. That's not really 80s, but it was more heavier stuff. And it was really, really just, I guess, more, I don't know what you say, just angry mm. so like you, you want that controlled that controlled intensity earlier years it wasn't controlled intensity it was psycho intensity like um so like even in high school like i used to have some of my training partners like before a big lift they, they would just start slapping the shit out of my face and like i would just like keep yelling at them to hit me until they would hit me hard enough and i'd go do my attempt um oh. you know in, in college, I mean, so again, just for reference, these are examples of what not to do. Um, I know in college, as a freshman, I actually um, was doing my last heavy deadlift about two weeks before my first collegiate nationals. And I missed my last, my last deadlift set, I missed the last rep. And that was my last heavy workout. And I, I just lost it. Um, I took my, my CD player, I threw it across the room it hit the wall and shattered. This is in the, in the college weight room. Um, they had steel, uh, doorways. I went over and like punched the steel wall as hard as I could, uh, broke my hand, um, right here. The, like the pinky finger, the knuckle still doesn't, there's still no knuckle there now. It's like, there's no bump when they're supposed to be. Um, but basically fractured my hand and was told not to compete. Um, obviously I did anyway, but you know, I had to hold the bar crooked benching and everything else. And it was just one of those things, like it, it was a really stupid thing to do and it proved nothing. Um, I wasn't at my best to compete because I had a freaking broken hand. Um, so I think that's the, that's the thing I've gotten a lot better with. And I think that's where the music actually plays a bigger role for me now is because I can use that to kind of up or down my, my emotional state, I guess. Mm -hmm. I, I feel like it helps me control where I'm at more. Right. And going full psycho is probably not really helpful at no, all. No. Yeah. <laughs> and going for full psycho, I mean, you're missing commands. Like you're walking out so aggressively that you're taking 20 steps because you're losing your balance. It's just, yeah, there, there's no, there's really no good for going full psycho. Right. So what got you to Georgia and when did that happen? A uh, combination of Sherman Ledford and Caleb Williams got me to Georgia. So uh, we were on spring break my senior year um, driving through. We, we drove through Georgia to on our way to Florida, um, just me and a couple of my friends. Um, and we crashed at Caleb's place because, you know, we knew I knew Caleb from college. Um, he went to the college of Worcester, which was about 30 minutes from well, about 45 minutes from where I was going to school. Um, so we trained together, but anyway, uh, he had moved down here in 2006, I believe. So on our way down through in 2007, you know, we're just like, Hey, we're going to crash at your place and train, um, train at quest because, you know, we're, you know, I had already used my, so I, I ended up staying five years. I did, I did a five-year plan. Um, so I had already used my four years of eligibility 
my first senior year. So my second senior year, I was just coaching. So, but a lot of my friends were still eligible and they were still competing. So on spring break, we came to quest to train so they could train for collegiate nationals. Um, and anyway, I had known Sherman for a while because um, he had helped me out at a lot of my, you know, the collegiate meets that I won and, you know, helped me with my nutrition and stuff like that. Cause at the time, you know, I was cutting weight pretty much year round or, or at least dieting year round to maintain my weight. So he helped me out a lot with his, his supplements and everything. But um, anyway, getting back to my point here. So, uh, so when we were training, you know, Sherman was kind of helping us out a little bit and he just you know, I was at the time I was in, I was basically accepted into the graduate program at Ashland for exercise science. And I was planning to go to grad school and eventually, you know, go on to try to get an internship with a, you know, a collegiate sports team or NFL or somewhere. But he just kind of, you know, as we're training, he's like, Hey, if you ever just want to move to Georgia and train power lifters, you're out of the gym here. You're more than welcome to. And this was probably in early April. It, it would have been probably real late March, early April because collegiates was, you know, mid April. Um, and we graduated like beginning of May, but I was just like, that just kind of stuck with me. I'm like, I don't know. That's kind of what I want to do. That's almost just like bypassing the route of, you know, going through the extra graduate program and everything. And, you know, my, my goal was to work with athletes. And at the time, you know, in 2006, 2007, powerlifting coach wasn't really a thing. Um, it wasn't that big. You know, if you had a powerlifting coach, it was basically the, your buddy that you worked out with, you know, helping you out. So, you know, that just stuck with me. And, and you know, graduation came around, we graduated. Um, and I just decided, you know what, screw it. I'm just going to move to Georgia and, and train powerlifters and see what happens. Just so kind of out of nowhere. comment that Sherman happened to have said. Just yeah. Yeah. And you know, he was, wow. he was serious, but you know, I don't, I'm, I don't know. I, I never actually asked him if he thought that would ever happen or not, but you know, but you know, that's still where I coach out of his quest. Um, you know, Sherman's gym up there is just kind of, it was just one of those spur of the moment things that, you know, it just felt right. And I just packed up all my stuff in my Dodge neon and drove down to Georgia and were your parents horrified? Not really. Uh, so at the time, my sister was moving to South Carolina to teach. My, so my sister, <laughs> I'm two years older than my sister, but I took a year off and I stayed a fifth year and we both went to Ashland University. So we actually graduated in the same class. Gotcha. So we both moved out of state at the same time. And, you know, it just, they weren't really, I mean, they were pretty supportive of it. I mean, they didn't really you know, give us a hard time or, or say we shouldn't do that. I mean, they've always been pretty supportive of whatever we wanted to do. So, um, yeah, it's been good. So you moved down here. Were you living with Caleb? Yeah, I moved in with Caleb. Um, I, I, I moved down the day of, uh, Doc Holloway's wedding. So when I got to Georgia, uh, Caleb was at the wedding and he forgot to leave me a key. So I basically had to sit outside on the, on the steps of the apartment complex for a couple hours till we came home. So that was my first night in Georgia. And you're like, Oh, is this an yeah. omen? Should I be yeah. here? What's right. going on? I had those wow. thoughts. Yeah. All right. So then you started coaching people out of the, the gym. Yep. So, um, 
And I know that you've handled people in different meets and such over the years. Like who are some of the most notable um, athletes that you have handled over the years? Oof. Other than me, you know, of course. Yeah. I mean, you and then everybody else. I mean, I, I don't... <laughs> that's all there is. Um, yeah, there's been a few. I mean, you know, I mean, you, uh, Lily, Alicia Webb, I mean, you two are ones that, you know, I work with a lot. Um, some of the lifters that I've just kind of handled that I don't really coach, um, Dennis Cornelius, uh, Dave Ricks, um, uh, uh, Jeremy Hartman. I mean, we've, we've had Jeremy and I've been in each other's corner for as long as I can remember. Um, okay. So specifically, who did you coach to your first open national title champion? and make one of the most critical deadlift calls in their history, jumping almost 90 pounds. Uh, and this person also helps, thanks you this very day for helping make that choice. Please elaborate on this story. There you go. Got it. Well, that, that again is Uncle Jeremy. Um, yeah, it was two, 2007 Open Nationals. He had, uh, he was having some really bad like stomach pain leading up to the meet and just really wasn't a hundred percent. And, you know, after his opening deadlift, you know, I just told him, I'm like, look, man, let's just pat, like he had the highest deadlift of everybody and he was, you know, going to need a, a big deadlift to win. So after a second or after his opening deadlift, I'm just like, look, man, you're in pain. Like you don't need to pull a second, just pass and we'll put on whatever we need to win. Like just man up one time and, and win the national title. Um, and he did like, like you said, I think it was a right about a hundred pound jump. Um, or more. Yeah. I think it was, I think it was from 644 to 755, I believe uh, was what he, what he jumped to and that's what he needed to win. And he, he pulled it and tied and won on body weight. Dang. Nice. Well, I think there was a second person that you helped win a uh, open national title on a big jump deadlift as well. Are you talking about you? Yes. Okay. <laughs> I want to make sure. I knew you. She's like, is your fucking one? Yeah. What What year was yeah. that? Uh, yeah. Is that 2015 or 16? I don't remember. It was yeah. one of those. It was uh, Bat Baton Rouge, I think. Yeah. I, I honestly don't even remember where it was. was but I, I do remember. Open national title. I, won. I do remember you were neck and neck the whole way through. And I knew like you had to have you had to have a good day, uh, to beat the lifter you were going against and you did. Um, and then number, I'll, I'll tell you this too. Um, that third attempt was probably about the limit that day, but, yeah, it, but it, it was, was, it was exactly what you had left and exactly luckily what, what we needed. And you, yeah, you pulled for the win and won yeah, your, I remember won your first was, open title. I was not having a super awesome day. I was kind of like wanting to flee the building. And I remember you came to me and said, you can leave. It's okay. You can leave. And I was like, Powerlifting no, stuff for everybody. Right. And um, I think there was there was something else that was going on. Like I had missed my second deadlift. I'd lost my balance. And then I needed like, it was like a big jump. It was 60 or 70 pounds. It was a big jump for me. Um, but you put it on and then I got it. But then the girl who I was going against, they were still contesting her third. And so you were about to put in a, another attempt to if they made me do it again or something and i remember you saying sit down chill out i don't know if this is over and i'm going 
the fuck? No, what do you mean that this is not over? What? I can't pull again. That'd be what? Um, but I guess they didn't let her uh, pull again. So that worked. Yeah. I, <laughs> it was a I, moment. I'm trying to remember what happened there. I don't know if it was a, a lot number violation or something. I, I really can't remember what that, but I do remember there was just kind of like some chaos there that, you know, they basically the, the sequence of events didn't happen per the rule book. So things were allowed to proceed without, without things being done in order. And that's kind of where the cluster came up. So that was fun. Yeah, it was. So, and then you've also um, coached at a national level at, I'm sorry, not a national level, international level at several championships, um, different places. Yeah. Um, my first one was actually uh, 2005, the year I bombed out. Um, so at Junior Worlds, I was an alternate, um, but it was in Indiana. So it was a short drive. So I actually was on the staff as an assistant coach there. That was my first time. And then was it 2000? You would know better than me. I was an assistant in was it 2012 and 2013. Is that right? I think it was 14. 14 and 15. 15. Yeah, it was kind of close. Yeah. Um, yeah, we, it was Denver, Colorado and um, Pilsen. Pilsen, South, uh, not South, South Carolina. Pilsen. No. <laughs> Czech, Czech Republic. Repu Pilsen, Pilsen, Czech, Czech Republic. Republic. Yeah, that was, it was a fun an trip. epic trip. Yeah, it was. That was an epic trip. And during that trip, um, you earned your title of, um, <laughs> he's like, <laughs> uh, Josh's uh, lightweight brew from the uh, the drinking game that happened um i i don't drink just for the record but i did go to the bar and watch this it was really great and uh there was like this game where um each table was competing against each other for ounces of beer drunk and uh i guess you could also compete at, at the table itself so there was a, a lot of uh competitive drinking going on and um i remember you dancing with strangers i got my arse handed to me Yes, the, the masters, uh, the women's masters team um, literally drank Josh under the table. Yeah. So, but I mean, you, you, Laura Strylan's, you know, pretty serious. Oh, yeah, she's serious, kind of, but I, mean, I, I wasn't, but I don't even think she was buzzing by the time I was like done. Yeah. I thought I was going to be, I, so I, I wasn't, okay, let's put it this way. I wasn't expecting to win but I wasn't expecting to get crushed. <laughs> crushed. Yeah. And I think there wasn't, I think that wasn't the first and only night that that happened, but that was the, uh, no, probably the seems, most notable. It, it seems to happen too often. It, it, it's like the word gets around like, Oh, we can, we can, we can drink Josh under the table and make him look like a fool here pretty quick. Let's do it. <laughs> yeah. But you're a happy drunk. So oh, I mean, yeah. there are some people that are just like, don't get right, me wrong. One of those. Don't get me wrong. I enjoy it. I enjoy myself. And I, I, I enjoy losing even, but it just, I, I would like to be a little competitive. <laughs> That's just your competitive self. You can't yeah. help it. I'm going to start training. <laughs> I think you already are, truthfully. Um, yeah. um, so meet, meet directing. That's a thing um, that you did for a long time and have kind of of late uh, during COVID, especially gotten out of that. Um kind of can you talk a little bit about your evolution there from beginning meet director to you know going from the creator prime time and putting on epic meets where you could do the superman and win josh Roar's money was a, a normal thing yeah um 
you know, the whole, the whole reason I started running meets is, you know, basically just, just having conversations saying, man, I wish they would do this. I wish they would do that. And then, you know, just roundabout people saying, well, just why don't you quit complaining and do it yourself? And that's kind of where I got started. And just, I wanted to put on meets that were very, just trying to think of everything, like everything a lifter would want to experience, um, you know, and thinking about it, you know, from the lifters perspective, like what would just be the most awesome experience as a lifter. And, and part of that was, you know, just my own, you know, coming up, like the first meets I did, you know, there, there were the high school shit show meets and, you know, I didn't know any different and, and I had a great time. They're great, great memories, but you know, those were my, that was my, the, the first meet, that's the meets that I'm, I'm always going to remember is my first meet. And I was like, what if I can just put together these awesome meets that when people have their first meet experience, like they legit remember it as one of the best meets they've ever been to, you know, and that's kind of what I wanted to do. And, you know, I think to some degree, I think we, we may have got close to that, but, you know, then as it just evolved, like, you know, the sport started growing, there was getting more lifters involved, you know, the, the membership numbers were growing. So, you know, the meets were filling up. So, you know, there was a little bit of actual revenue to mess with. Um, so I started giving out prize money and, and things like that, just to kind of, again, you know, give back to the lifters that are, you know, putting in their time to get better and, and to reach that high level. So, you know, it gave, you know, the, the idea was to, you know, we have a lot of great lifters in Georgia, but there's a lot of times, you know, they don't do the local meets. They just go to nationals and worlds and whatnot. Well, adding the prize money aspect to the local meets. Well, now you get to share the platform with some of those elite level lifters because they're there, you know, it's worth their time to, to do the meet and, you know, make a little bit of money. And then, you know, I think as a new lifter you, to say, man, I got to share the platform with, you know, so-and-so. So I, I just thought it made a really neat atmosphere and, and that's kind of, kind of how that started and evolved, I guess. And then, you know, fast forward to the 2016 raw nationals, um, had no idea it was going to be quite that big. Um, but you know, the idea was to, you know, we had been talking about doing a prime time and just, you know, taking the very, very top level open lifters and putting a spotlight on them and making it one platform and just all eyes on them. And, you know, that just kind of, there was definitely a lot of opposition to that, the idea and the concept of it. But once, but I just knew in my mind, like once people would, if they would just give it a chance and see what it would be like, like it would be awesome. And I think after, you know, after that was over, you know, super late nights, like scheduling needed some work, like we didn't get it exactly right. But, you know, just the, the atmosphere was something like, I've never seen before just standing room only people on chairs in the back of the room trying to trying to see because it's so you know just so many people were there and you know that's that's kind of just been you know something that you know I was dog tired for so long after that and almost probably depressed afterwards just from so much work but you know that's still one of the probably the proudest moments of seeing that come to fruition and and the fact that it's still happening now um people just kind of saw what it was and wanted to keep it going yeah i mean i remember that meet very well um it was epic it, that was some epic shit yeah you know and um some big squats and some late nights and you know there was a lot of work that went into that and uh i i think i remember um 
No, I guess that was maybe another me. It's just seeing you sleeping on the cement floor <laughs> like a corpse and like, oh, okay. That's normal. Yeah, there, people just like stepping over me. I mean, it was mm -hmm. it was a mess. But I did, I so I did get smart though. I did bring an air mattress eventually. And in the little break room where the staff could go eat, I just put an air mattress up underneath the table and took a nap there a few yeah, times. Because that was a several day long meet. And I yeah. I know how much goes into it coming up to it. And um, how many lifters was it? Like 1,100 or something? 1,063 uh, was the final number. Yeah. And that had, that was the biggest meet to the record at, the, at, at that, that time. At that time, that was the biggest meet. I know um, the following year, Raw Nationals was in Orlando, Florida, and they also coincidentally had a, exactly 1,063 lifters. No way. So uh, we consulted some of the coaches around to determine the tiebreaker, and we decided that because – I actually won both tiebreakers, so I got to keep the title as as uh, as uh, largest meet. Um, the first tiebreaker was body weight. I was the lighter meet director, <laughs> and the other tiebreaker was I did it first. So, right, right, because the lot number. Yeah, right. So <laughs> Very nice. Yeah. So, uh, but that was broken in in Spokane, Washington. The following year, they did. Uh, can't remember what their final number was, but they did beat it by a few. Hmm. I mean meets were getting extremely large for a little bit yeah. there and then the um the qualifiers getting a little bit more stringent kind of brought the numbers into didn't really bring them down it know, just really made it more competitive to get in it didn't let it grow exponentially more yeah <laughs> that's about it so the yeah the numbers members were growing but you know you know just the more the more people you get in the the better everybody gets so we have to you know keep raising those standards right. to get to that national meet so where are you now with things during covid what are you what are you up to uh i'm in my i'm in my basement <laughs> i didn't mean like oh. literally i mean like <laughs> as a lifter as a coach as a um, meet director um so as a coach um still kind of business as normal business as usual um a lot more shift towards the online coaching, um, doing a lot more virtual stuff, um, coaching in real time virtually, just to kind of keep that separation. Um, you know, as a as a lifter, I've been training in my basement. Uh, training is the wrong word. I've been working out in my basement, um, just kind of doing stuff here and there. Um, in terms of running meets, um, kind of got to the point, you know, just got a little burned out. You know, that's the downside of trying to make everything perfect is you burn yourself out. And I think that's kind of where I'm at. So, you know, I'm kind of stepping back just, you know, from running meets this year, you know, COVID obviously played a role in that, but, you know, the big thing, the big, I guess, eye opener for me was at our Georgia state meet, you know, I've ran that meet for the last 10 years now, and there's a big team aspect there. And most of our team always competes and it's just becoming, you know, it's been, it's always been obvious, but it's never, I've never quite realized, I guess, the fact that I'm not really part of the team during the meet because I'm running the meet. And that's something that just kind of slapped me in the face, I guess, in 2020, um, you know, we, seeing lifters that I coach day in and day out, I'm with, you know, year round getting ready. And then I'm seeing the videos of them competing and celebrating and I'm not part of it. So I think that was just kind of what kind of hit me is like, I need to step back a little bit and kind of focus on what I really truly enjoy. And that's, you know, coaching and being, being there in the moments. Mm, that's awesome. 
Um, so what about your um, involvement with the EC? What, what does the EC um, person, the guess, I'm like not even sure what to call you, an EC member, executive committee member um, actually do? Uh, well, basically, it's a good question. Basically, you see the day-to-day -day running of the organization, I guess, between the NGB meetings. So, you know, when things come up, um, you know, for example, like the new divisions that were just created, um, you know, that's something that we had been working on kind of behind the scenes for a while. Um, you know, just figuring out ways to better the sport, um, to create more opportunities for lifters, um, you know, and then, you know, anytime there's anything that, you know, you know, obviously we're, we're under the umbrella of the IPF. So if there's IPF rule changes or calendar changes or, you know, anything like that, we have to then pivot and figure out, okay, well, what are we going to do with our national meets? Where are they going to move to, you know, just, you know, those are just a few examples. I mean, there's some other things that I can't really talk about because they're, you know, kind of more, I don't know what the word is more fragile, I guess that it's not really public knowledge. So um, just stuff like that, that, you know, basically trying to keep the organization running and, and everything working smoothly. And there's a lot of, there's a lot of bullshit that goes on that you would not, you would not want to even know about, but that's, that's part of what the EC does. <laughs> <laughs> deals with bullshit deals with bullshit yeah uh, right i can no, understand and, not, and, and, and i mean obviously i should i shouldn't say that as a blanket statement i mean there is some bullshit right. stuff that happens but you know a lot of the work is very you know I, obviously i'm still doing it i i it's important to me um and, and you know at the end of the day somebody has to do it and i take pride in the organization so i want to you know as long as as long as people are willing to i guess keep reelecting me. I'm willing to, to be part of that and, and kind of help guide the ship, I guess. Well, that's awesome. Well, I know we've gone way past what our normal length of our podcast is. So I will just wrap up. Um, so other notable achievements that maybe we haven't talked about anything that comes to mind? Uh, well, I am a mediocre water skier. I really enjoy water skiing. Um, I really, I really enjoy playing Texas Hold'em poker. Um, I know this is not the answers you were at, okay. you're searching okay. for, but I'm going to, I'm going to say what I want to say. Um, let's see. Mm, that's about it. All right. I have one last question. Oh boy. So who called your lifetime meet PR deadlift number? Um, probably it was, it was a combination of probably Sherman Ledford, Tony Cardella, but definitely not Jeremy Hartman. Definitely not. <laughs> I know it wasn't me because there was one meet that I called your number and you were like, why do you put more in the bar? You're all mad at me. Yeah, it was, um, uh, I believe it was the 2012 Arnold, um, 672 is, is what my PR deadlift is in competition. And, and it was definitely you know, not Jeremy Hartman. It was definitely not Jeremy Hartman. Huh. He might tell you otherwise, though. Yeah, he, he might have led me to believe that. No, it, so, in all, so full disclosure, I am sure it was him, but I actually have no proof it was him because I was sitting in my chair listening to my headphones, and 
between him, Tony Cardella, and Sherman, they turned in my third attempt deadlift. So I don't know, I don't know who it was, but I'll take his word for it. Nobody else has claimed that they picked that number, so we'll say Jeremy did it. All right, <laughs> Uncle Jeremy, Uncle for the Jeremy, win, all the way through this podcast. <laughs> Yeah. It's pretty epic. <laughs> yeah, man. All right. Well, I feel like um, our listeners got to know you a little bit better. And um, I certainly learned a couple things I didn't know. So uh, this is weird. I'm, I'm not used to being the interviewee. Ha ha. Yeah. Well, and um, I can also say um, Josh doesn't mean stop stomp dance. <laughs> I don't even know what to call that. But yeah. Yeah, it, it's a uh, it's more of just the drunken stupor convulsing around but did you ever listen to rubber band man i did yep definitely know great that song. song just didn't didn't know the name and the artist but great song there you go now you know now you know <laughs> now you know um did you want to recap with your uh meat songs or you want to pick that up next week we'll pick that up next week we'll take a break on it all right we'll pick all that up next week all right well this was the episode where josh roar Strikes first. again. <laughs> Your Barbara Walters moment. I feel like I should make you cry. Still, yeah. you almost did when you were asking. I don't remember what we were. Brother Bennett. Yeah, there and oh, and the and the being coaching at the state meet and stepping back from mm. running meets. You had you had little little yeah. bit a little bit of tear creeping in there. A few oh, spots. Right. I'll work on it. Good job. All right. Well, listeners, thanks for watching, listening, and uh, we'll get out of here. Later. Bye now. Thank you so much for listening. If you enjoyed today's episode of the Powerlifting and Power Ballads podcast, please remember to subscribe and share it with your friends.